today on CityCast Denver. Over the weekend, five adults were found dead in an apartment in Commerce City, and those deaths were determined to be fentanyl-related. The district attorney's office has confirmed to CBS4 this incident was fentanyl-related. No drug is safe right now. While opioid overdose deaths in Colorado have skyrocketed in the past few years, fentanyl, a synthetic opioid, has accelerated the issue to terrifying levels. Last year, more than 1,800 Coloradans died from a drug overdose, and that number was higher than 2020's, which was already a record-breaking year. Today on the show, I speak with Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser on what he and lawmakers are doing to address this crisis. Today is Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. I love the whole team approach here. This is great. (laughs) I feel like I'm in great hands. (laughs) You are. You are. Attorney General Phil Weiser, welcome to CityCast Denver. It's great to be with you. We're going to talk about fentanyl and the opioid crisis today. Could you take me to the moment when you first realized that fentanyl was going to be a big priority for you as attorney general? Like, what was going through your head? What did you What did you see? When I ran for this office, I will tell you this issue was vaguely one that I was thinking about. By the time I won this office, it was my single answer. When people said, if you could do one thing as attorney general, what would you do? I said, I want to make a difference on the opioid crisis because the impact it's had here in Colorado. It was in July of 2017, not long after I had announced that I was going to run for attorney general, that I visited with Robert Jackson, who's the sheriff in Alamosa County. And Robert said to me, 90% of the people who are in the Alamosa County jail are struggling with opioid addiction. He said, I don't have the ability to help them. We need to address this crisis. And then when I visited with others in the Valley, and they said, we can't develop our economy until we deal with this opioid crisis. Now, my wife had actually worked on this from the medical side, trying to prevent the overprescribing of opioids. And unfortunately, this is a painful story because we did start limiting those prescription pills. But what took their place? Counterfeit pills. And those counterfeit pills include fentanyl. And what is the problem with fentanyl? Like, what are we looking at that's different, say, than when we, you know, when the opioid crisis really started, when we're talking about the pill situation that you're, you're describing um, things that are prescribed versus fentanyl, which is generally not, I mean, I was given it in the hospital, but like, you don't go home with fentanyl. So what's the role of fentanyl? The opioid crisis started in the really mid to late 1990s when Oxycontin was approved. And the message was, treat pain, don't worry, it's not addictive. The reality, it was highly addictive. Now, all those pills were natural, if you will. They were from the poppy plant, the same as heroin, morphine, opioids. What is different about fentanyl is it's synthetic. It's made in a lab. It's made to have the same properties, except it's so much more potent. Just to put this Into context, four grams of cocaine gets somebody high. Four grams of fentanyl can kill thousands of people. And so the problem is you might have been addicted to these pills and you're taking them, 
But then you can't get those pills anymore, so you buy them in the underground market, and it looks like the same pill, except it is fentanyl-based. The dosing is different. It's more potent. That's why so many people are dying from overdoses caused by fentanyl. So in December, you held a press conference announcing your intention to take action on this during the legislative session. And here we are, legislative sessions in full swing. What's the latest update with what you're working on? We have to recognize what has happened. And and I just want to give you a, a snapshot of the last four years. The statistics from 2016 had four fentanyl overdoses in El Paso County. The statistics from 2020, the last year we have on record, have 100 overdose deaths from El Paso County. Now, there are lots of people who are struggling with addiction who are trying to get oxycodone pills to feed addiction. They might die because they got fentanyl. But there are also people who were literally tricked. There are people who are being given what they think is a Xanax pill because they might need help going to sleep. It's actually fentanyl. That's more like poisoning than an overdose. And we had this press conference with a family who lost their son in one of these painful, awful situations where he wanted help going to sleep and he thought he was getting a pill and instead it was fentanyl. And what we said is our laws, our tools are inadequate to the task of meeting this crisis. The tools to investigate these fentanyl deaths actually require serious and careful work that is more complicated than many law enforcement investigations. We ask for more funding to support it. The reality also is that not enough people know about this dangerous drug. And so we need more tools to get out the word about this dangerous drug. And then the next challenge will be, are our criminal laws adequate to meet the challenge? And we had some suggestions for how those could be fixed as well. Can you talk about those suggestions? Because I'd love to ask you about the law enforcement piece in a minute. But what are legislators working on in that capacity? There are two main ideas that we talked about at the press conference and that are, to my mind, appropriate responses to this crisis. The first point is a prior legislative action took the, let's call it, um, single approach, unitary approach, four grams of any number of these substances is illegal. Four grams of cocaine is illegal for for persons of being, I should say, a felony felony possession. Um, The idea was if you're using cocaine, we're going to call it just a misdemeanor, you're a drug... um, user or you're struggling with addiction, we're not going to call that a felony. The problem is four grams of fentanyl, which was painted with that same brush, is not like four grams of cocaine. Four grams of fentanyl, if you're possessing it, it's not because you're using it. That would kill thousands of people. It's because you are selling it to others. And so we said it doesn't make sense to have four grams of fentanyl as a misdemeanor offense. It really needs to be reexamined. The second issue we talked about is there are people out there who are distributing fentanyl, knowing what they're doing, causing people to die. That deserves some enhanced penalties. That's a problem. So I I have to push back a little bit because this feels to me like an extension of the war on drugs. And the war on drugs has been going on my entire life. And I'm 41. And many folks in the harm reduction space see it as more of a war on people who use drugs. And I'm inclined to agree. And I know I see what you're saying about someone knowingly distributing fentanyl. But also, I think sometimes folks don't know that's what they're doing. Like they may be a low level offender in terms of like they're selling enough to get enough for their, their, 
themselves. And so uh, my friend Lisa Ravel at the Harm Reduction Action Center always says if shame, stigma, and incarceration worked with drug use, we would have wrapped this issue up years ago. And there was a Colorado Newsline article uh, published recently. I'm sorry, it was an op-ed that said, since the war on drugs began, data shows that we suffer from 10 times the number of overdose deaths compared to 1990, despite billions spent on prohibition. Can you help me understand why increasing punishments is what you're focusing on? The New York Times had a good write-up about the opioid epidemic, and its summary is, it's too easy for people to get access to drugs, in this case opioids, to get high and too hard to get help. We have to work on both sides of the equation. And I am with all the people who have the utmost compassion for those people sitting in jail in Alamosa County and other places struggling with their addiction. We need to help people find a better, safer path. I also recognize there are people out there knowingly pushing out fentanyl, having led to deaths of young people who were deceived, who are still doing it. Those people are engaged in, to my mind, the equivalent act of poisoning people who might not be aware that what they're taking is fentanyl, but the seller, in my fact pattern, if you will, they're aware of what they're doing. And to the point of the war on drugs, we don't put people in jail for using marijuana here in Colorado. We've ended that war on drugs with the benefit of a regulated marketplace, with the benefit of taxing it, and that has taken people outside the criminal justice system. But those who are knowingly distributing fentanyl, tricking people, leading people to die, I don't think holding them accountable for that sort of action is shaming those struggling with addiction to, again, the point I started. For someone struggling with addiction, I'm all about how do we support them? How do we help them find treatment? But for those who are pushing and deceiving others into what could be a deadly path, we do need to do something. I'm struggling a little because I, I, I hear you with the families who have lost kids, especially who maybe bought something or took something that they thought was didn't know what they were getting into, right? And and I see kind of see what you're saying with maybe people who inject drugs in particular, knowing what they're getting into. But um, my brother just lost his best friend um, to an overdose, uh, and he was an injection drug user. And I think of him in the same way that I think about these kids that have maybe thought they were doing Xanax. And I just... <sighs> I just worry that we're setting ourselves up for failure again by continuing to criminalize something only because like also I have, oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts about this, but part of it is I have a handful of friends who used to sell drugs and they're low level. There are people that were selling drugs to get by, to pay rent, to, to help with medical bills, to do things to, you know, and they're upstanding, normal human adult people in the world now. But I think if they got caught and they went to jail, it could have ruined their entire lives. How do we separate between like that low-level dealer, not saying anybody should have sympathy for a drug dealer, but the low-level dealer and then like the big cartel, the person that's producing fentanyl, like how are we getting to that, that part of it? What, ha what happens in these investigations is you start with that low-level dealer and you often say to that person, are you going to help us go up the chain? Because you're right, putting low-level dealers behind bars doesn't take down the whole cartel. 
the ultimate challenge that we have is going after these cartels who are operating as organized crime without regard to their consequences. And we absolutely need to keep our primary focus on those engaging in that sort of interdiction. And it is important to hold accountable people for violating the law, for hurting other people. And each of those cases needs to be done with compassion. The challenge of our criminal justice system is to integrate accountability and compassion. And so it will depend on the situation. When our criminal justice system works best, people are given an opportunity to find a better path. We, do, we don't want a criminal justice system with the net effect of just keeping people ensnarled in it and so that we're just keeping high levels of incarceration where people essentially never have opportunity to get on a different path and just get stuck in the system. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And I'm, I'm thinking of the picture that you painted with with this Alamosa sheriff with 90% of the folks incarcerated there dealing with uh, substance use in some way. And I mean, in seeing that, can why not focus on the support and recovery of those people? Because I, I have to assume that drug use in some capacity is partially what maybe got them into jail in the first place. So like, how do we prevent that aspect of even them going to jail? I mean, I, I watched someone detox from heroin. I can't imagine doing that in jail. I can't imagine a sheriff wants yeah. to oversee people doing that. So what what are we doing to address that side of the, the, the use side of it? We need to be focused on all sides of this scourge. One side for sure is the demand side. And the way we address it is twofold. One fold is that we focus on awareness so that where we can, we get out the word to young people, be careful. Someone may give you a pill, it could kill you. You could get down this road of addiction. The other point, once someone is drunk with addiction, we need more drug treatment. We only have about 16% of the drug treatment in our state that we need. There's no inpatient drug treatment in the San Luis Valley. There's no inpatient treatment in southwest Colorado, in northeast Colorado. So what we're doing is we're holding accountable those Purdue farmers of the world who started pushing out that Oxycontin and lying to people, and we're bringing back $400 million to Colorado. When I ran to be attorney general, I called for this action, and it was a debate. My opponent said he thought it would be irresponsible to sue these companies. I said it would be irresponsible not to sue them. Well, we did sue them. We're bringing back $400 million. That money is going to be used from a bottom-up solution so that people in the Valley can have a regional collaborative to build more treatment, to build more uh, drug recovery, to provide appropriate harm reduction for things like naloxone to make sure that we're saving lives. It's an all-the-above strategy. We don't have the luxury, in my mind, of thinking we can only approach this challenge from one set of tools. We need all the tools we can. 
And I appreciate that you focused on that aspect of the pharmaceutical company, going after the pharmaceutical companies, because so often the onus is put on the user and not on the people that are supplying that. I'm assuming you've worked with Harm Reduction Action Center, but I'm just wondering if you... I have. Okay. I just think they have such a wonderful program here in Denver, and I would love to see it expand. And so speaking of that, one thing that Harm Reduction Action Center has been pushing for for years in the legislature is this implementation of an overdose prevention site, which is essentially a space for folks to safely inject drugs. Um, And this is an effort to what they do, what they say is to keep people alive today. Um, It's very controversial. I understand why it's controversial, but I wonder where you stand on it. Do you think that that could help with our larger problem? So my view is Colorado does not need to be the first to do everything. Obviously, with our work on marijuana, we were the nation nation leader on it. It took a lot of work. A reason why this experiment is not a easy-to-do situation is imagine someone leaving a safe injection site and hand someone else coming in unused heroin. Can the police stand outside the safe injection site and arrest that person? And it's not the short answer is it's not an easy point because if you literally had the police doing that, you would undermine the safe injection site. And so you're setting up a situation from a law enforcement perspective that is going to be uncomfortable to say the least. Philadelphia is going to take this challenge on. My answer is let's see what happens. Let's see how they do it. Let's see what the results are. And then we can consider based on actual lived experience whether it makes sense. Hmm. I never thought about that concern I'm just thinking about someone who maybe is like an hourly wage worker at a 7-Eleven having to find folks who have overdosed in their bathroom, you know? Like that's a that's a lot for someone to take on who's not a healthcare worker. Um, but that's something to think about. I appreciate that perspective. Um, you know, speaking of this on a larger scale, what's your view of how America has dealt with the drug crisis historically? I want to come back to your point you raised earlier about shame and stigma. I remember watching the movie Terms of Endearment. And there's a famous line there where Deborah Winger, who's the main character, tells a friend, will you tell people it's okay to talk about the cancer? Cancer used to be something people were afraid to talk about. There was a lot of stigma around cancer. Today, 40 years later, people say, I have cancer. Cancer sucks. We've largely moved away from that stigma. Mental illness, substance abuse is still an area where there's so much stigma There's so much shame. We need to do so much better in creating space so that people can help one another. Everyone knows people struggling with their mental health. Everyone knows people struggling with some form of substance abuse. But there may not be the space in people's lives to have those conversations. So part of the money we're bringing back, we want to be able to do what we can to enable people to talk honestly about their lived experience, their loved one's lived experience, so we can be in a position to do better. So the short answer is we're not doing particularly well, in part because there's so much happening in the shadows. And when it reaches the crisis that it is, boy, it deserves a lot more attention. This crisis is my top priority. I've talked to parents who've lost their kids. I've talked to loved ones whose family members are struggling. I talk to communities that are not where they could be because of the impact of this crisis. Just to put the latest figures into context, more people died of overdoses from substance abuse, most of which are opioids, increasingly fentanyl, than in car crashes and gun violence deaths combined. Think about that. 
we need a all-hands-on-deck mindset of how do we help save lives. That's what's at stake. I appreciate that you're willing to talk about it. It's so important. We need more of these conversations. A lot of times, because it's been in the shadows, people don't realize the impact this crisis is having. All of us can work together to play a part in how we better address it. Yeah, and I I always, it sucks when it becomes something someone cares about because they've lost somebody. Like, how do we prevent that from happening? You know, how do we talk about it before that happens? Because like you're saying, often people don't know that someone in their family is struggling. Um, So I I appreciate that you're so open about it as a person who's leading our state. Um, Attorney General Phil Weiser, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks to you for this important conversation. There are obviously many angles and elements to this crisis. We need to be talking about them, thinking about them, working together to find solutions. I appreciate you helping get the word out. quick note about my conversation with Attorney General Phil Weiser. When we talked about overdose prevention sites, he mentioned that Philadelphia is going to take this on first. And yes, for the last year or so, Philly was on track to have the first overdose prevention site in the U.S. But plans were held up by bureaucratic red tape. It turns out New York is actually the first state to try out supervised injection sites, and they opened theirs in December. Oh, and by the way, Denver just started offering free fentanyl testing strips to anyone who wants one. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Oh, and speaking of our newsletter, did you know that we have a referral program? If you sign up and refer us to your friends, you can get free CityCast Denver swag. Sign up and get more info via denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I want to be like, so you can test your drugs to make sure that they don't have fentanyl in them because then you can not do them and you can stay alive. (laughs) But that's a little much. It's a little much. If you need a fentanyl testing strip, you know what a fentanyl testing strip is. I feel like. Hopefully.